Hey everybody, I'm your host and life coach, Kim Gross, and this is the Masks Off Podcast. In this podcast, I'm helping parents and teachers of teenagers and young adults to explore and understand the masks we often wear because of people-pleasing and perfectionistic tendencies so that they can guide their children and students in removing the masks and honoring their true selves. Each week we dive into how to go from a people-pleasing and perfectionistic prison to freedom, empowerment, and showing up fully in the world. You will hear about my personal experiences and wisdom, as well as from my knowledgeable guests. If you're ready to remove your masks and to help your children and students to do the same, drop into this week's episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of Masks Up. I am Kim Gross and today my guest is Harvey Hayes. Today we're going to have an interesting conversation about parents and teachers and schools and Harvey's going to share with you his background as an educator himself. But before we jump into our conversation, I'm going to begin with the quote And the quote was offered by Harvey, which is, on the plains of hesitation lie the bones of standing still. And that is by Adelaide Stevenson. So thank you for sharing that quote. What does that quote mean to you before you introduce yourself? Well, I think what it really means to me is that you're either moving forward or you're stagnant. Or you're moving backwards. Mm. Preferably, you're moving forwards. Because if you're not moving forwards, you stagnate or you emotionally die. And that's an unhealthy place to be. And so my whole kind of uh, career has been keep moving forward. Thus, I changed jobs a lot. A lot of different <laughs> things, but it, it was important to me to do new things and new venues and stuff. It's just part of who I am. So I love, uh, I love that you shared that. And I, it's so interesting because I was just talking with another guest on a previous episode where I was sharing with her that someone once told me in terms of growth or growing, he compared it to fish swimming upstream that if fish stop swimming they're just going to keep floating backwards they have to keep moving and I do believe and recall that it was also in the movie Finding Nemo about the fish where Dory's like she sings along keep on swimming keep on swimming (laughs) and I think it's a motto for life because I myself have witnessed so many people and family members when they got to their elder years after retirement and just stopped mm-hmm. moving forward. And boy, did their lives kind of shrink very quickly and they became very, very stagnant very quickly. So I really didn't plan on unpacking that quote as much as we just did, but I love that you shared it because it's so profound and it will 
match up very well with what we're about to talk about. So before we get into the conversation, how about if you introduce yourself and tell us who you are? Okay. Well, I'm Harvey Hazen, as you said, and I started life on a small little farm in in the Dalles, Oregon. And my dad was a fruit grower on a very small farm, and he made a living and raised a family doing it. And I think everybody kind of expected that's probably what I would do. And and that wouldn't have been a, a bad thing to do. I'm not saying that at all. But along the way, I had a couple of t- three teachers or so that ignited in me a desire for learning, a desire to work with kids because I enjoyed their class. And I saw something in them that lit a spark in me because they were exceptional teachers, in my opinion. So I ended up going to college and back then, a long time ago, I could make enough during the summer working for the Forest Service and that sort of thing to put myself through. And that's essentially what I did. I got very little help from my parents, very small scholarship, which I actually lost in the first year because my grades plummeted when I got to college. It was such a different environment. What was required of you, et cetera, was very difficult. Again, I had some teachers that kind of took me under their wing and saved me some professors. So that having been said, I moved on through my program. I always wanted to be a teacher. I was modeling off of the people that had helped me. And I became a history teacher. I taught a few years in history, got interested in the counseling aspect, became a counselor. It was eight or 10 years, I think, as a counselor. Again, got interested in something else, became a, a vice principal and then a principal, first the high school, and then I was also middle school. Again, got interested again and became a superintendent, got my superintendent's credential, became a superintendent, first of a very small district and then of a, a nice medium-sized district. Uh, retired from Oregon after 30 years. And my wife said, uh, look, you bought too many toys, you bought a boat, you bought everything. You, you can't just live off your retirement. You got to go back. Now, I think she was smart in saying that because she knew that there was more to it than that, that I didn't need to just stop. I needed to continue something. So I found the smallest district I could find, a little K-7 district in the state of Washington, moved up here from Oregon took the job, 280 kids, superintendent, principal, bookkeeper, pretty much everything. Really interesting experience, very supportive community, very supportive board. And I did that for about three years. I said, I'm ready to retire. Even though it's 280 kids, it's too much. They said, oh, no, don't do that. We'll hire a principal and cut you to halftime. So I did. I stayed another four years as uh, just the halftime superintendent for him, then retired. After the pandemic, uh, I saw what was happening to families and kids, the disconnect with school, the difficulties that parents were having in helping kids make sense of what was going on and the difficulty kids were having. So I decided to start this program that I'm doing now, which is essentially coaching parents and and students when they're having trouble. Yeah, I love all your experience. Let's talk about what you said 
in terms of helping parents and helping teens. And you and I talked before, well, before we started recording that it's so important for parents. It's so important for educators to really look at these teens and these young adults and rather than looking at their behaviors and how they're presenting on the outside. And for me, from my standpoint of this podcast, I would say rather than seeing them at face value with these masks on because they're showing up inauthentically, they're not showing up as their true, true selves because they don't feel that it's safe to. I was a high school teacher 24 years ago, more than 24 years ago. And I shared with you that I taught the at-risk kids. Now these kids were coming in, one was pregnant, most didn't have breakfast, they were on drugs, single family homes, all kinds of conditions. And they would show up in my classroom when they showed up. And that wasn't often for a lot of them. And the last thing they were ready to do was learn. That was the last thing that they were ready to do because there were so many other things going on besides uh, underneath. So you and I were talking about the importance of being able to really see the child, see the person in front of you rather than teaching the curriculum. I'm in New York state. There's so much bureaucracy because there are New York state tests that the students had to pass in order to get a high school diploma. So I understand from the teacher side of things that it's challenging and it's difficult when you have the curriculum and you have things you have to accomplish. And I want to say, if you want to make an impact in the lives of these students, these children, it's imperative to be able to see the masks that they're wearing, look at the behaviors and go underneath. What is underneath, underneath? So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was intrigued by your analogy with the mass. I've never thought of it quite that way. I've thought of it as every student in that classroom. If you've got 30 kids in front of you, each one of them has a story. And each one of those stories are different. And it's made up of a whole lot of different things. It's made up of what they inherited. It's made up of what happened to them at home. It's made up of their friends. It's made It's made up of a variety of things. And unless you take the time and make the effort to understand what's going on with them, you're not going to be able to teach the curriculum that you want to teach. So I've been working on a little paper talking about imagination. Mm -hmm. Imagination is a very unique thing to human beings. And we can use it to our advantage with these kids. Each one of those kids has has an ability to imagine. Imagine what you could be if. Imagine what you could do if. You know, and if if you can bring down those barriers and get them to start talking about what 
their life experiences in what is under that mask through and many times through the curriculum it doesn't have to be separate from the curriculum it can be integrated with the curriculum then you can really start to work with the individual student even though you have 30 in that classroom because each one has a story and many times the kids are the best resource if they can share those stories with each other and help each other to see what it can be like if they're moving forward then that's everything and too often i think we get caught up in the classroom and i think parents do this too they they're so concerned about the grades they're so concerned about that report card that comes home they're so concerned they lose track of what's going on underneath that student and i think parents and teachers need to start to look under the surface behind the mask as you put it that I think that's an ingenious way of, of looking at it is what's going on behind that mask. Parents, in turn, need to be the best advocate for that child that there ever is. That's part of being a parent. You need to know what's going on with that child and you need to be able to advocate for that child, both with the school, with the community, with the coaches. You need to help them understand what that child is about so they can help the child too. And I think if you approach it right, usually that's a welcome thing. I love that. That's so important because I'm thinking about how I was as a student and I'm thinking about many of my former students who were quiet, shy, would rather be like seen, not heard camouflage, fall into the background, sit in the back, no attention on me. I don't want any attention on me. And I think about how hard it is for a student like that to advocate and speak up. And a lot of times the reason or what fuels that type of behavior is so much fear. There's so much fear underneath that if I speak up and I either tell my teacher or say something in front of my classmates that I don't understand something or I don't get something or I need help. That student has so much fear about speaking up, so much fear of being ostracized, so much fear of being shut down, dismissed, right? How often does that happen in a classroom? How often does that happen in a home? And this is not to blame the parents or the teachers or educators. This is about awareness. This is about what we need to shift and do differently to help our teens and young adults because they're so afraid, so many of them. And then if they finally get to a point where they're so fed up, maybe they do just start acting out because they don't feel that they're being see seen, that they're being heard or understood that they're worthy enough of having their needs met. So then they just get angry and they become rebellious and then they act out. And then there goes now the teachers and parents are looking at the behaviors, whether it's drugs or alcohol or skipping school or failing or whatever it is. And they yeah. make that student, child, young adult feel even worse when the real beginning issue was 
I was struggling and you did and you didn't see me. You didn't pay attention. Yeah, attention. I agree. And, and I I'll insert a little quote here. I, I love quotes. This one's from Maya Angelou. She said, People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. That's so true. With kids in that classroom, if you inadvertently even put them down, they're going to remember that over any of the good things you did in that class. And so you need to be constantly on guard. And I think parents particularly, and teachers too, need to move their model from, I'm a counselor and a director. I tell you what to do because you're a kid to a coach that says, what would happen if you did this as compared to this? And get them to start thinking about their behavior and how they can improve their own life as opposed to directing. I so often see parents say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And they just turn the kid off. Hey friends, I didn't mean to leave you hanging. We'll get back to the show in a moment. Are you wondering whether you're a people pleaser or a perfectionist? Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, Kim, of course I know I am one, but I'm not sure all the ways that these patterns show up. Well, you can take my people pleaser perfectionist quiz on my website at kimgrosscoaching.com and find out the answers. And if nothing else, the quiz is really fun to do. Now let's get back to business. And so the kid accepts that for a while, then they hit 15, let's say. <laughs> Independence kicks in, and all of a sudden they're doing exactly the opposite of what the parents said for them to do because they resented. They Absolutely. And not only that, but there's no agency. That child, that student, that teen is not learning agency over his or her own life there's no sovereignty because everything that i'm doing my parents and teachers are telling me to do think about how even the school day is set up when you get to high school you're told where to go what to do from 7 30 in the morning until three o'clock you're just told what to do where is their choice where is their choice in any of anything really right so i think that becomes instrumental in inhibiting young adults from being able to become good decision makers later on in life. I agree. You just struck an example with me that happened yesterday. I was in a meeting with four or five other coaches. This one person who happens to be a coach mainly for college entrance has a parent that they're working with who has a kid who doesn't want to go to college. He's graduated from high school this year. He had the brilliant idea of, I'm going to become a developer of game programs. He's good, evidently, according to what the coach said. He's developed three or four game programs, and he was going to be successful. He was going to move to New York, and he put them up on the internet, and they failed. Hmm. Nobody looked at them, not because they weren't good, just because he didn't have a name, and, he, and nobody looked at them. 
now he's feeling defeated and he's going to go do something else. The parents are ragging on him about, you got to go to college, you got to do this, you got to do that. My advice to the person that's working with him, I said, number one, the parents need to honor what he did because he did a great job. So honor that. Ask him the question of, why do you think it didn't go? Hmm. What happened? Get him to talk to you about that and, and see if you can get inside of the reasoning that he's doing and and do some coaching with him because from the outside if you're just directing and telling it's he's not going to listen to you. he's at the age where he's going to do it his way and he's shut down and he may turn to something that's self-destructive so it it's critical that when you're dealing with students you listen to not just what's on the surface but what's going on underneath on the surface a hundred percent if he has the talent and he has the passion and he has the motivation the parents would serve this young man far more if they invested in him doing this business than investing in a college education that he's going to that he doesn't even want absolutely (laughs) and because he doesn't want it and his heart's not into it there's a good chance that he might blow it Mm -hmm. fail his classes or whatever or even if he does make it through the college education the four years at what cost and that's what i'm so passionate about with raising this awareness to parents and educators about what's happening with teens and young adults wearing masks and not being able to be their true selves. When they are cut off, when we are cut off from our true authentic selves, there is such a price to pay. There is such a price to pay, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, whether it's numbing on alcohol or drugs or anything else, unhealthy relationships, just not feeling a sense of fulfillment in life, that's a big price to pay. And I really want to see that shift and see that change. And so that's why I'm using this platform to talk about this as often as I can with as many people as I can so that we can get this message out and hopefully in time things will start to shift. I mean, I would even love to see that grades in high school just become abolished. Like really, what is the point of grades besides attaching a person's worth and value to those grades? Wait, you in accord with me because when I first, became a high school educator. The high school was a a model high school that had adopted a continuous progress program, Mm -hmm. which meant that you could stay in a class, work until you mastered the subject Mm -hmm. area. I would love to see that model re-implemented. And each one of the teachers had a homeroom and the kid called them homeroom coach. And they helped the kids 
the child with the programs, they help with the problems. Imagine a world in which our educational system had a value system or a way of evaluating students based upon where they are when they first come in in the beginning of the year and then they have evaluations throughout think about companies now when you are employed by a company you have evaluations teaching is like the only profession i think where you can get your job and once you have tenure, unless you do something extremely yep. insubordination, you're doing something that's that's immoral or exactly, you know, it, exactly. If you're going to fire a teacher based just on performance, can't I'll yeah. tell you as an administrator, I've done it, but it's very difficult. And how many professions are there out there where it's like that? Most jobs you that's have, it. if you're not performing you're fired. So imagine a world in which our school systems reevaluated teachers. And I know like, listen, I was a teacher. So I know that teachers are going to be like, what are you talking about taking away my tenure? But imagine if teachers had to be reevaluated and their job depended on their performance. Now I'm not saying necessarily mm, how successful or unsuccessful their students are, that can be a part of it because you can't control the outcome of 90 to 100 students. But if I'm improving and I'm progressing and I'm learning and I'm doing what I can to, to be the best teacher that I can be, then evaluate me on that. And the same with students. So imagine a world in which we did that. And imagine a, right, a world in which teachers learned about masks and they learned about how they're showing up with a mask on and, and really to be able to look out for the ways in which their students may be showing up with a mask on where they're showing up to protect themselves because they don't feel it's safe or feel comfortable, comfortable being who they really are. I mean, even a class clown, like we have all these different types of ways of labeling students in the classroom. It's just another way of saying they're wearing a mask. A class clown is wearing a mask. He or she is showing up in that way to either get attention or whatever it is. It's a behavior that you have to look underneath. So, I mean, that's well, my that's my rant on the future. Well, and, and I agree with you. We need to move from a checkbox system to a performance-based system. Not did you check the boxes, how can you perform what you were supposed to have learned or did with your teachers? Uh, I think one of the worst things, my personal opinion, is the heavy emphasis on standardized testing. <laughs> so... Now, jump forward to what you're doing now. Share with us what you're doing with your coaching and how you're hoping to help parents and students. So I'm aiming at situations where parents have kids in school that are experiencing failure for one reason or another. And I'm attempting to set up a program where it's pretty individualized. I 
I need to find out what's going on in that family, what's going on in that school, what's going on in the kid's life, and then design a program to help the, the parent, the kids, and maybe the school. Mm. Uh, I'm not opposed to getting engaged with the school, too, as an advocate for the kid. But I also want to teach the parents how to advocate for their child. Because there's good ways to do that and there's bad ways to do that. If you wait until you're angry and you walk into that school and you unload, the chances of you getting progress with the school are slim and none. Whereas if you design what you think is needed for your child to be successful, no matter whether they're a neurodivergent child on IAP or just regular student if you go in with a plan and you design and you're asking for help with the school then you're much more likely to be successful mm. and so there's there's that facet to it there's helping the parent be realistic and, and come to grips with how they might be causing some of the issues themselves there's the issue of helping the child themselves to see relevancy in their curriculum and their program. And then there's the issue of maybe working with the schools. So each program, I think, is a little different. It kind of has three phases. Talk to the parent, find out what's going on there. Talk to the child, find out what's going on there. Design a program, implement the program, and then and then keep working with the student and back and forth with student and parent until you begin to see the progress that you're looking for and then celebrate the progress. Mm. And once you've done that, then offer the parent continuing support if they need it, but essentially let them go on their own to see how they do. But you so, do do this coaching online as well, correct? So on, tell the I'm listeners not, what you're offering. You have a 30-minute. Right. right. If they uh, sign up and tell me that they saw it on the podcast, mm. I will give them 30 minutes free session in addition to the initial intake session. So it's wow. probably an hour total. Awesome. I want to spend time with parent first talking to them and then I want the 30 minute time to be with the parent and the child maybe or maybe the child or maybe the parent it depends on what happens in that first 30 minutes yeah time so essentially it's an hour total there's a couple ways to get a hold of me really you can go to the website which is harveyhazen.coach very simple there's a short explanation of the program there that's on purpose because each program is so individualized right and there's a link on there that says book up meeting and so they can do that they can also just directly communicate with me if they want the email is also sent with harvey hazen uh at yahoo.com and if they want to send me an email, explain some about the situation and, and uh, want to talk, maybe even on the phone or set up a Zoom meeting, either one. Awesome. Fine. And I'll have all of that information put in the show notes as well. So that for anyone who is listening, as we round up, I have no doubt with all of your experience in education, 
from the teacher standpoint, the principal standpoint, the superintendent standpoint, just where you are as a coach that you would be able to provide and offer tremendous experience, support, wisdom. So thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It was just really, I get so excited when I talk about education again. Thank you very much. I appreciate the ability to come and, and talk with you and, and uh, all those parents and children out there struggling I'm hoping that that for better for the future for you yes <laughs> yes oh for sure okay thank you again for coming on I really appreciate it thank you Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Masks Off. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. If you enjoyed what we talked about, feel free to leave a review or comment. If you have something you want to share or ask me or Harvey, you can put it in the comments section. And until next week, take care, everybody. If you enjoyed this episode of Masks Off and you're ready to take the next step to overcoming people-pleasing and perfectionistic tendencies, you can reach out to me at kimgrosscoaching.com and book a call. You can also join my free Facebook group for more inspiration and tips. The link is in the show notes. I would love it if you would subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget to share it with others. See you next Thursday on Masks Off with Kim Gross.